Welcome to the Trust Corner. Financial data is a highly coveted asset for cyber criminals. Under legislation like the GDPR, businesses are directly accountable for ensuring that the financial data they store and process is secure. Innovation in technology has allowed for businesses to be more productive, but has also presented a new series of challenges in securing financial data. What can organizations that process financial data do to safeguard their customers and their own financial data? Welcome to the Trust Corner. Our guest today is Howard Bovell, head of IBM Cloud Platform and Technology Lifecycle Services. Howard leads the global cloud business, developing IBM's market-leading capabilities. He drives digital transformation for enterprises and supports clients' journey to hybrid cloud and their enter enterprise IT data center infrastructure. Howard has 25 years of experience working as a business technologist and is currently on the board of Jobs for the Future, a nonprofit focused on driving transformation of the American workforce and education systems to achieve equitable economic advancement. Welcome to the Trust Corner, Howard. Delighted to be here, Lena. Pleased to see you. And that's that's quite a description. I didn't recognize myself in all of those various epithets. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> For my first question, I'd like to get your insights about the cyber threat landscape and the threats that are becoming more and more sophisticated. As a cloud leader and expert, what do you think are the greatest threats that organizations are facing in today's environment? The, um, they pretty much remain the same, but the bad actors find different ways to actually exploit them. So inside a threat where somebody is a bad actor and gives access to systems um, as a bad actor, or they do so inadvertently, or they've been actually compelled by bad actors to do so. The second is through um, bad use or misuse of identity and access management. And then the third area, which actually is the one that worries the cyber community the most is third and fourth party risk. So that's where an enterprise is using third party software um, in a software as a service construct. And there are issues in terms of threats coming through that channel into the enterprise or that software as a service provider sits upon a infrastructure that is equally inherently insecure and that causes points of entry for risk. Well, thank you for sharing the, your perspective on cyber threats, Howard. And we see a lot of similar uh, trends on uh, trends and um, uh, threats in terms of third and fourth party risks, software as a service deployments, and definitely um, are fighting together uh, to create more secure technologies. And I do share the same concerns. With these emerging threats, how can cloud providers offer greater security against the cyber threats and, and their evolution? It's the responsibility of the um, hyperscaler community to ensure that we all operate with due care and attention to protect our customers' environments. So the businesses that we have is that we can run our customers' applications, or in the, in the case of SAP, we can run software as a service offerings. Um, and certainly IBM see that as a point of differentiation in terms of how we see the world. We're not a general purpose cloud provider. We're a cloud provider that is focused upon regulated industries, so financial services, telco, healthcare, and federal. And there are different higher order or higher bars that you have to pass in order to actually be able to service those communities. So the architectures that we put in place um, address them from a resiliency perspective. So can the platform operate 
do we reduce the amount of downtime? And IBM has a very proud heritage of delivering high levels of resiliency, far superior than any other technology provider. The second area and a particular importance um, for SAP is performance. Um, when you have a mission critical application that supports the mission critical business processes such as SAP, you need to ensure that level of performance at a superior level. And because of the actual different types of what is known as silicon that we provide, x86, power and Z, we can assure that level of performance that our customers need. The third area is security, cybersecurity, which I've touched upon and we think very deeply about how we address that. And we're very unique in a new number of ways that we address it. And then because of the regulated industries that we face off to, compliance, so the regulatory framework that you operate within. And there's a lot of changes taking place around laws, rules, and regulations around the world as companies think about data and data privacy. And the relationship that we have with SAP puts us in a very strong position to ensure that we can assure that the data is in the hands of our customers and only in their hands because of the encryption techniques that we use. Well, thank you for sharing, Howard. And we also see that creating a framework to secure most valuable assets, complying with regulations, continuing to invest in the workforce, and of course, creating resiliency mechanisms that you touched upon are core part of the winning strategy for cloud providers and for ourselves too. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the customers. Uh, after the pandemic, organizations saw the value of moving more of their data and processes and workflows uh, into the cloud to enable a more remote a workforce and a more remote environment. Uh, as more and more institutions move their workflows into the cloud, what do they need to be prepared for in this transformation? Um, the first and most important point is that it is a transformation. And in order to transform, what you can't do is move bad processes into a cloud construct because they're still bad processes. You need to understand how you're going to create frictionless and convenient experiences for the constituents of that process, whether it's end user customers, whether it's CFOs and their finance functions within those areas, and they need to be reimagined. The good thing about SAP is SAP is world-class in terms of helping companies on that journey in terms of how they transform to the SAP platform and then materially improve the various business processes that we have. We IBM are actually currently um, quite a large part of the way through a very large transformation with SAP to transform all of our core processes as we transform into being a hybrid multi-cloud business. And there's no better partner to work with than SAP because of the actual capabilities that you have. But at IBM, we complement that with our consulting capabilities and the platform, the cloud platform for regulated industries that I've spoken about. Um, and therefore, you have an assurity when you have the combination between IBM and SAP as a customer that we will get you to the business value that you want to derive. We're not providing you technology simply for technology's sake. We're doing it to actually allow your business to thrive and prosper and to decalcify the business processes that do calcify over time but with the actual new platform that a combination of SAP and IBM can provide. Yeah, well, thank you for highlighting our partnership, Howard. And I really like that your point around uh, moving bad processes into a new platform won't make them good processes. I think this is the great advice. And I think it's important for our customers to also understand that there are a few differences between on-premise 
and cloud environments. And as cloud providers, we need to comply with multiple regulations in all the different regions where we work, where we operate, especially for regulated industries such as financial services industry, where we both come from. As part of the highly regulated industry best practices, what do you think are the most important regulations or considerations such industries and organizations should have in mind when moving into the cloud? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, just to add to the uh, the very nice uh, introduction that you gave to me at the beginning of the call, prior to joining IBM um, nearly three years ago, I was um, a te the te CIO at the Bank of America and a very big customer of SAP, as along with every other technology provider that you could imagine. And I could see within that vantage point that there was a real difficulty for regulated industries to move to the cloud because of laws, rules, and regulations that can actually make it very difficult and onerous. Um, with the general purpose cloud providers, it is the responsibility of the regulated industry, the financial services industry, to build all of the controls, their controls, their laws, rules, and regulations into um, the general purpose cloud provider, which would massively slow down by multiple years a financial institution's ability to move to the cloud with, with a capability like SAP. And all of the costs associated with that would then fall upon the shoulders of the customer. What we had built at IBM and the opportunity I saw for IBM was to actually build a platform, a cloud platform, that has all of those laws, rules, and regulations already built in from the outset. It means that then in financial institutions, healthcare, um, telco, and um, federal services can accelerate their pace by which they get to the value that SAP can provide, reducing multiple years of migrations down to multiple months. Um, because the actual laws, rules, and regulations are built in and they're dynamically maintained. But we, IBM, don't determine what we build. Um, it isn't our um, laws, rules, and regulations that we put into it. We have built a community with over 200 financial services organizations consuming the services and 80 financial services um, globally participating in financial services councils to determine the laws, rules, and regulations that we put into our platform. So we have built a platform for the industry, with the industry, in terms of telling us what they want to put into the platform to actually address the laws, rules, and regulations. And it continues to be then driven um, by the industry. And that membership of the 80 financial institutions was only eight banks three years ago. We're now at 80. No doubt it will be running into several thousands um, in a short time frame as it exponentially grows. And then that means that the pace of innovation that we get driven by the community of the financial services organizations, gets you to the value that you can get from IBM and SAP far more quickly than any other partnership that you would see as having. Well, that's an impressive transformation, Howard. And I also remember the times when it was just eight banks or even fewer. Uh, now let's talk about uh, your focus of your organization, the hybrid cloud. Uh, how can organizations reduce risk with a hybrid cloud approach? What elements does the hybrid cloud offer that might be more beneficial for some organizations if they choose? So? Well, first and foremost, what I'm about to say may sound very counterintuitive for somebody that leads a cloud business, but cloud is a deeply uninteresting topic. It is simply a technology tool that can be used to help a customer-derived business value. And we're coming to the end now of the early adopter phase. And that it always happens with early adopters where they will rush to a new technology, thinking the technology in and of itself is a strategic destination. And cloud is not a strategic destination. 
Cloud is a very, very important component that can now be added to an overall architectural template, but it shouldn't be thought of as a singular thing that you move to and then everything within your business becomes fantastic because that isn't the reality. What you have to do is to think about what's the right architecture to meet the resiliency, to meet the performance needs, to meet the security and compliance and the total cost of ownership needs of the business processes that you're looking to transform. And to do that, you should still be thinking very much about your on-premise data centers. There are a range of reasons why you may want to keep those. And there's a range of reasons of the different types of technology that you want to keep in those. But also you should be thinking about what cloud can provide you in terms of the agility, the ability to actually get a homogenous experience for your developers and therefore you get more productivity from your developers. But what's more important than the IT side is the business transformation. And that's how we think about hybrid multi-cloud capabilities. And it's all about the partnerships like we have with SAP because that's where you derive the real value. And what we want to do is to get you to that real value as quickly as possible. We deal with the mundane of things like resiliency, performance, security, compliance. So you can then get to the functional capabilities that a provider like SAP has, and we can help you in terms of that business transformation as to how you transform your calcified business processes into lean, fast, agile business processes that create frictionless and convenient experiences for your customers. Fantastic. And since you uh, mentioned the customers, I'd also like to get your perspective on what the future holds for the customers as well, Howard, uh, specifically the future of technology or cybersecurity. We know that the threat landscape and the technology landscape continues to evolve every day and continues to change. Uh, what can especially regulated industries, uh, institutions expect to do more of or less of to protect their data from new cyber threats? And what can we continue uh, doing to continue to meet uh, customer expectations and stay effective and, and resilient? Every technology has a yin and a yang, kind of both sides of the coin. The two technologies to answer your question in terms of cyber and future technologies to think about are quantum and AI. But I can expand, expand upon that. Um, quantum computing is a real thing. Um, IBM has been the forefront in terms of building quantum technology. Later this year, we'll launch our Osprey switch, which gives you 433 qubits of um, capacity. Um, and then we're going to start to serialize that. Um, what you can do with quantum computing is yet to be imagined in the same way as what was yet to be imagined with classical computing. But there are mathematical problems that were impossible to solve through classical computing that will be possible to solve through um, quantum computing which will then create entire new industries. But in the short term, the thing that you have to be thinking about now is the yang of quantum computing, which is the cyber threat of encryption being de-encrypted by quantum computers. In the same way as nuclear, nuclear um, innovations created a yin in terms of what it means for nuclear warfare, which now then also provides clean energy, there is an, a flip side to quantum computing. And what you need to be thinking about now is what are you doing to ensure that your data can be encrypted um, as quantum computers come online? And it, it's not a question of waiting until they do, because bad actors are already taking your data in the knowledge that at some point they will be able to actually harvest what's in that data because of the encryption techniques. So it's important to very deeply get into that topic. Now, the good news is that nation states, and even today, the Biden administration sent out a white paper around cybersecurity. Um, as to how you have to think about this. The second area is AI. 
um, artificial intelligence. Now, IBM has been in the artificial intelligence space for a long time, and we've seen a number of kind of peaks and troughs in terms of what AI can provide. There is a lot of press at the moment around chat GPT. Chat GPT is a great technology, but it is still very immature. It's, it's in its infancy in terms of the controls that are around it. And therefore, that yin and yang of technologies is there is a huge amount of opportunity to be harnessed around artificial intelligence. But we have to have the right levels of controls and responsibility around how we use those technologies because they can very quickly become into a more dystopian approach as opposed to a utopian approach. But they're interesting problems for the, the listeners or the viewers of this podcast to hear because that's why we do our jobs. We get to work with complex problems and figure out how we create utopian visions as opposed to dystopian. Now that, that's fascinating, Howard. And I'm also very closely following the quantum computing trends and actually was a co-developer of some uh, patents in the area. So we're very much looking forward to what IBM will be delivering to make that a vision a reality. Um, as part of the technology sector, we witness innovation firsthand, and you just mentioned chat, GPT, AI, and many other trends, including quantum computing. So it's very crucial for us to always be thinking about the future, what the new attack vectors may look like, what the new technology frontiers uh, may look like. So for my last question, I'd like to discuss something that we are both very passionate about, which is investing in the future technology workforce. We and my team, the Chief Trust Office at SAP, have done a lot of work in partnering with universities and colleges, investing in early talent, developing academic partnerships to really help spur the interest in cybersecurity for early talents and early um, um, those who are just entering the workforce. You are on the board of Jobs for the Future, which is a nonprofit that works to transform American workforce and educational systems. So what do you think organizations can do to help close the gap in the cybersecurity and technology workforce? Yes, thank you. The, um, so um, the mission of GFF is to get 75 million people from an underserved community into middle-class jobs and technology is the key way to do that. Um, why am I interested in this area? I started life in an orphanage and was lucky enough to be adopted by two wonderful parents. My father dug ditches for a living and was semi-literate, and my mother cleaned schools. Neither of them got to any, anything beyond education from the age of 16, and nobody in the family had got beyond that position. So as far as I was concerned, my life was worked out that I would actually at best not dig ditches. I might actually lay bricks, but work on a building site. But it was through the random acts of kindness of strangers that could see the potential in me that actually I ended up being guided into a position where I now work in technology. But so few people get that opportunity. And there is so much talent left as a consequence of them not being guided in the right direction. Uh, what is really important is we've got to think differently about the educational system because the educational system is great for a very small percentage of the working population. When you go to university, when you go to school, you are taught how not to fail. When you work, you learn from failure. So you go through an entire educational system where you are conditioned to be fearful of failure and taught not to fail, when actually the biggest breakthroughs are through failure. The human species is a product of evolution. Without actual failure in the evolutionary strands, we wouldn't be here. So the educational system leaves so many very, very talented people left behind. 
And what I'm very keen to do is to ensure that the lights that live within all of us gets the opportunity to shine out as opposed to the lights that are shone upon us because the certain small population can get a certificate from a university that doesn't serve so many people. So IBM now, we recruit um, less than 50% of people with college degrees. We'll bring people within that don't have college degrees and we'll provide them with kind of modern day apprenticeships with a range of different um, educational um, uh, organizations to get them the actual vocational skills to be relevant in cybersecurity or to be relevant in encryption techniques or to be relevant in computing technology. I don't believe in this notion of talent. Everybody is talented. We've just got to get that light out from within them and find out what their talents are. This is incredible, Howard. We also removed the requirement to have a college degree to be able to apply for a job at uh, SAP. And we're very much looking forward to joining forces in closing the, the gaps. I would like to thank you once again for a fantastic discussion, for the insights, uh, for inspiring the leaders and managers who will hear this podcast to remember where they come from and actually pay it forward. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Elena. Pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you.